0: If I can invite you to remain standing, our scripture reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 24, verses 10 through 15. This is Paul speaking. Or, the governor nodded at Paul, giving him permission to speak. He responded, I know that you have been judge over this nation for many years, so I gladly offer my own defense. You can verify that when I went up to worship in Jerusalem no more than 12 days ago, they didn't find me arguing with anyone in the temple or stirring up a crowd, whether in the synagogue or anywhere else in the city, nor can they prove to you the allegations they are now bringing against me. I do admit this to you, that I am a follower of the way which they call a faction. Accordingly, I worship the God of our ancestors and believe everything set out in the law and written in the prophets. The hope I have in God I also share with my accusers, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the unrighteous. This is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. <clears throat> I just want to begin this morning by um, thanking you all for a great Sunday, last Sunday, for all the not- kindness, the notes. The trick-or-treating was a blast, and it's just good to have the church gathered together and do things that are fellowship oriented and community building, and so um, thank you all for that. I appreciate it. My wa- our family does. Um, we're just blessed to be a part of this church and this community. Uh, this morning we're going to be wrapping up our, our sermon series as we've been looking for the last 12 weeks, or today is the 12th week, on the, the building box of faith as they are contained in the Apostles' Creed. I hope you've enjoyed this sermon series, and more importantly, that it has helped you to identify those areas of the Christian faith or helped us to, to root ourselves in those things that we consider are essential as followers of Jesus Christ and as people who seek a relationship with God. Because when we recite the words of this creed, we profess a historic proclamation to the world that we believe about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so the words of this creed, the words remind us and connect us with the beliefs of the very first followers of Jesus, don't they? And these are the same beliefs that have been passed on to us They connect us to those who who heard the teaching of Jesus and walked with him, to those who discovered the empty tomb. They connect us with those who heard the words of the first apostles, whether that was in a city like Ephesus or Rome or anywhere else. These historic words help to keep us rooted in who we are as Christians. They help us to stay focused on our beliefs that are the most important Rather than allowing ourselves to get sidetracked and so focused on other beliefs or other issues that are not essential to our salvation. And those are things that that might mislead us from the gospel altogether. So this morning we're going to focus on the last statement of faith, the last lines that we read in the Apostles' Creed, which is a triumphant ending, really, if you think about it. As we are reminded of our destiny as followers of Jesus Christ, that we are going to do what? We're going to experience resurrection and we're going to have eternal life. This isn't us talking about Jesus, is it, in this last line of the Creed, which is over here to my left. It's about us talking about about us. And about our future, and about what God has promised, and what we can expect. Because in these words, we proclaim that we expect, and we are promised, a complete resurrection like Jesus experienced. Was it about the the fifth week, I think, we talked about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, something like that. And we talked about, about how Jesus was not resuscitated that his resurrection was a complete resurrection. He did not just get resuscitated and, and get some temporary life only to die again like Lazarus or, or some of the others that we've looked at in the Scriptures. What the Scripture tells us and what we know is that Jesus was resurrected physically and finally and he never died again. And because of that, God has given us the promise that we can expect second life in his presence and in the presence of Jesus' Son. And so in the Creed, what we are professing Is that our bodies are going to be resurrected at the end of time. Now, whether you say, what kind of body is it? I don't know. Maybe I should be a little taller. Just kidding. Okay. Everyone's like, what would I do different? Um, But what the Scripture tells us is that we're all going to be gloriously transformed. And in being gloriously transformed in the physical resurrection that God has promised us, we will all be able to dwell in the presence of God forever. Friends, this means that that your everything is going to be resurrected and redeemed. Whether it's your body, whether it's your mind, whether it's your soul, whether it's your spirit, everything God is saying will be resurrected. And the reason that we can expect this, the reason that we can look forward to this, is because of Jesus' resurrection. In his letters to the church, we can read about Paul's interpretation or, or his teaching that he believed is going to happen with the resurrection of Jesus and then the resurrection of us. In 1 Corinthians 15, he, he dedicates a large portion of this letter to the resurrection of Jesus. And the resurrection that we can expect ourselves. In his words, he says, the reason you can expect to be resurrected is because God resurrected Jesus his son. And then he continues and he says, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we testified against God that he raised Christ. When he didn't raise him, if it's the case that the dead aren't raised, and then if the dead aren't raised, then Christ hasn't been raised either. So what is Paul basically saying? What he's basically saying is that you cannot expect your own resurrection if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Jesus' resurrection is proof of our own resurrection and we can look forward to the promises of God by looking back to the way God has lived out His promises in Jesus Christ. So see, we're, we're... like, you know, a, a few slides ago we had the, the picture of the field and the fence and, and where we would get off the fence is I don't see how someone who professes to be a Christian can say you're going to have eternal life but then also say at the same time that Jesus wasn't physically resurrected. I also don't see how if someone is going to teach in the physical resurrection of Jesus and then they come to the end and they say, oh, our resurrection's just going to be physical. It's or, just going to be spiritual. That doesn't line up with the scriptures. That doesn't line up with what Paul has taught and what Paul has, has written in 1 Corinthians 15 and, and other portions of the scripture that we read about the resurrection. Because basically what Paul is saying and what the earliest Christians believed, and I think if Paul is saying it, we can assume that that Peter is saying it. We can assume that James was saying it. We can assume that John was saying it. We can assume that every one of the major apostles that we read about in the book of Acts and we know of in the New Testament were inconsistent on this. Because remember, they gathered for the Jerusalem council to talk about what was essential. To talk about the ministry of the church and whether it was focused on, on just the Jewish community or the Gentile community as well, I have to believe that they talked about things like this too. Because those are the words that have stuck, those are the words that have been passed down to us, and those are the words that we can look forward to in the promise that God has made to each of us. And Paul even goes further. In 1 Corinthians 15, he he writes about when we die, and he doesn't say that you die when you die. He says you fall asleep. What does that mean? If you fall asleep, doesn't that mean that you can wake up again? What Paul is saying is that his core of his belief in the resurrection is that because Jesus resurrected, we're all resurrected. Now, so where does it get confusing? It's when the scriptures start talking about a first death and a second death. The first death, it's pretty easy to explain. It's the death that, that every living thing experiences, whether it's a pet, whether it's an animal, whether it's a plant, whether it's a fish. Everything at some point in its life cycle is done, right? Including our bodies. So that means that that no matter what we eat, no matter what we put in our bodies, no matter how much we exercise, no matter how much we don't exercise, although we need to take care of ourselves, at some point, there's not one of us that will escape death, correct? And so we're to care for ourselves, but I also think it's realistic for us, and it's it's us being faithful as Christians to acknowledge that there's no way for us to live forever. That we're all going to die. And that's what the scriptures talk about when it talks about the first death. What gets confusing is when we think about the second death. In the book of Revelation, the Apostle John wrote these words in Revelation 20, verse 6. He says, favored and holy are those who have a share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will rule with him for a thousand years. So I got to thinking, as Protestant, United Methodist Christians, we don't talk very often about the second death, do we? Biblically, the second death is is the eternal death apart from Jesus Christ. And so what John is talking about in the book of Revelation is that this means that When Jesus returns and takes all of the righteous and the forgiven to be a part of God's kingdom, there are those that are going to be left behind. I hate using that phrase when I talk about Revelation because the books... um, (laughs) Only because then it immediately makes me think of that. Um, So there are going to be those that, that are remaining. And those that are left are the ones that the scriptures say experience the second death. Because after that time, they will be apart from God for eternity. They will not have the opportunity to accept or to to receive a relationship with God that it's offered them in Jesus Christ. And so John's words that we've just heard from Revelation are words of assurance for each of us. Because what is John saying? John's saying that if you have a relationship with God and Jesus, you don't have to worry about that second death. You've already been paid for. The debt's already been paid. God's already made everything square with you. Not because of anything you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And as Paul mentions earlier, he talks about the faithful having fallen asleep. And this is central to his theology. Because he is assured That God has promised each of us, if we believe in him and place our hope, our trust, our lives, ourselves in him, that we will experience the final resurrection with Jesus Christ. And so what Paul articulates is that like anyone, when we are asleep, is when we die, we are asleep, and then when Jesus returns, we will awaken. We will be given a glorious body, and we will be able to live A life in relationship with God and others with the best part, minus the temptation and the effect of sin in our lives. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 through 42, Paul writes about the bodies that we're going to be given in the resurrection. I'm not going to read it because it's a little long, but what he basically says is he uses an agricultural metaphor of how a kernel of corn must be planted into the ground in order, and the corn must die correct? In order to be given life, which is the new plant. And so he compares that kernel to the resurrection body that will be given. He says that we must die, our physical bodies must die in order for us to receive the glorious body that comes from Christ and from God alone. Which, friends, this is consistent with even Jesus' teaching. Look at um, the Gospel of John, chapter 12, when when Jesus talks about how a kernel of wheat must be planted into the ground in order for something good and glorious to grow out of it. This means the resurrection is, is not simply a retooling of the body that we have. What this means is that God has promised and will transform each of us into whatever that body is, his glorious body. It's only I mean it's it's the thing he gives to us. It's not our choice. But we know that it will not decay, we know that it will not age, and we know that it will not be temporary, but it will be everlasting. This means that it's a glorious body that's beyond your comprehension, it's beyond your imagination, and it's a body that is created by God and given to you from him only. That's what it means when we say that last sentence of the Apostles' Creed. And when we couple that with life everlasting, then what we're saying is that when we receive our resurrection body, we're going to be able to live. We're going to be able to live. We won't be in, in some cartoon picture of, of some angelic state sitting on the clouds, strumming on a harp, and, and drinking you know, some fruity drink. I don't know. Um, but what we're going to do is, is, is God's promised us life. Life with those we love. Life with Jesus, life with God, to have a relationship with each other, to have a relationship with God in every one of those relationships without the burden, without the temptation, without the weight of sin upon it. See, that's the promise of the new creation that we state in this last word of the Apostles' Creed. It's a promise that we are going to be able to live without sin in the presence of God as we discover more and more who God is. And as we discover more and more the depth of God's love for each of us. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children. What we, what we shall be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Friends, in all the words of the Apostles' Creed, this is the promise that we profess: that God will make us more and more like Him as we grow in His grace, as we accept His forgiveness, and as we received, as we receive the promised resurrection that He has offered us through His Son Jesus Christ. And as we do so, we will grow in holiness. We will grow in our purity and in our joy. And we will do so knowing that it's not by our work. But it's, in, it's by the work of God. In our life today and in the promise that we have to come. Because we believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ, the Son, and we believe in the power and workings of the Holy Spirit. And in all these things, we know that God brings them all together and uses them for good so that our hearts would be changed, our minds would be transformed, and we might be even greater disciples of His Son, Jesus Christ.